All right. Can we open up our Bibles here this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 11? The Gospel of John, chapter 11. It's been communicated already, and as you likely know, today is, is Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. It's a Sunday where we do remember and considered what Jesus did this week as he entered into Jerusalem for his final week, where his plan, this plan that, the, that our triune God had set and knew from eternity past of his salvation, of his death, and his resurrection to be fulfilled. And as he enters the city, he, he teaches, he performs miracles, he, he gathers the disciples on that, poem, that uh, Passover meal on Thursday where he would find himself in the garden, and then his trial, and then the cross, and his death in the tomb, and into Sunday where we, we, we consider the empty tomb. And yet the empty tomb is, is to come on Sunday, but for Jesus, radical suffering and death came before that. Death, death is the greatest threat to all humans. We, we try to avoid it. We, we know and feel its pain when it comes near or upon us. The, the, the horror, the, the ache, the darkness, it, it's evil. Um, and among the questions and mysteries with death, there is a, a sense of, of futility. Uh, the psalmist captures this in Psalm 90. What, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? What is our answer for that? Can, can there be pro, a profit in a death? Can, can a death serve God's purpose. Well, in our text today, we will see that, that death does serve God's plan for His glory in His Son. And our passage is a, is a prelude to the story, is a prelude to the resurrection, to Easter. It is also a prelude to, to Good Friday, to, to death, Jesus' death. Jesus' death and His resurrection will serve ultimately the purpose of revealing God's glory and in turn secure resurrection and life for all those who believe in him. But Good Friday is necessary for Easter Sunday. And this story will help us contemplate and consider that. And this is a, obviously a longer text and we're going we're gonna to just enjoy the whole narrative together. So if you've got your Bibles, let's just take time and we're going to read through, through this together beginning at verse 1. Chapter 11, then we'll pray. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, 
Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, does not, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go, awake, go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I am not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never not, never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by the this time there will be an odor, for he had been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had and had been what, what he did, and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Join me as we pray. Father, today as we, as we gather as your people, those, those who you love, and we know this, that you, you love us because, Lord, you, you loved us so much. You loved us in a particular way that you gave your son. <laughs> and, Lord, we, we've received your son. We believe on your son, Jesus. And, therefore, we know that you have loved us. And, Lord, this week, as we, we remember this most important week in all of history, this plan from the beginning of time, eternal plan, this, this mystery that's now revealed in your Son coming of Christ who came to save by his perfect life, by his substitutionary death, by his victorious resurrection. Lord, we, we ask this morning as we consider this, this Passion Week, this Holy Week, Lord, we we, we want to know, we want to we feel, we want to think, we want to believe more deeply and truly about what you have accomplished for us in your son Jesus. And so Lord, would you come by your spirit, make this new, make this, re- renew in us, Lord, these truths that we would have deeper faith and deeper worship and deeper love for you because we understand what you have accomplished for us. And so Help us to know this today as we look at your word. Amen. Amen. Well, if you recall, as we were in the book of Mark, the authors of these gospel narratives do not always place stories in perfect chronological order. There can be be large gaps between particular events. There can be small shifts in the stories and their timing or their placement. And the authors may be using literary techniques to help us understand and for them to communicate greater truth about who Jesus is and his gospel. And we find here this morning, John chapter 11, the author, John, places the resurrection of Jesus right before Palm Sunday. We see that there is a, a few small minor events that happen between that, but it's pushed right up to his Passion Week right before he's about to enter into Jerusalem. I didn't know this until recently, but the, the Orthodox Church and litur- their, their liturgical calendar celebrate the Saturday before Palm Sunday as Lazarus Saturday. They consider it being the day uh, just prior to Jesus entering Jerusalem, that Saturday as the day that Lazarus was raised. So the next day, Jesus would enter into Jerusalem, and his Passion Week would unfold. Now, it could be a challenge to prove the exact timing of Lazarus, the Lazarus, Lazarus event, but that, that's not the point. But I think what we're to see here is the fact that this is right before his entry into Jerusalem. It, John's placement is purposeful. It, it, is, 
is to help us see that this is a, a, a preparation, a launching into what is ahead for Jesus, about what he, he is about to do personally and what he does through this event with Lazarus. We're going to feel the tension, the religious leaders seeking to harm Jesus. The, the predictions of his death are nearing. And we know John's purpose of this book. He puts this story here because he tells us the purpose of why he wrote the book, his book. John chapter 20 tells us this, uh, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we know that this story of Lazarus is to achieve this very goal, to help the hearer, to help us this morning, the reader, to believe in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we're believing something about his identity so that by believing in him, we might find life in him. Now, this is a, a familiar text and I think suited for our Passion Week it's a story known to our, our kids. Uh, if you grew up in church, you learned about it. When, when my kids were really little, we would sometimes reenact stories of the Bible. And so there was new, numerous occasions where somebody wrapped themselves up in toilet paper and hid in a room. And we would read the narrative and somebody would come out of whoever got to be that loved it because they would, you know, bust out of the some Hercules way out of the, uh, the toilet paper. But, but the emphasis was not Lazarus, right? This story is, a, Lazarus is a very important figure in our story. But this, this story, this narrative is to help us see Jesus, to help us to encounter Jesus, to help us to believe in Jesus. It invites us and provokes us to believe on him for life, life that we need. And so let's work our way through this and make some observations we begin in verse 1, and, and Jesus receives this word that a certain man that we find out is ill, this man being Lazarus. He's brother of Mary and Martha, their sisters, and they send word to him informing Jesus that he is ill, and it's serious enough that, that they need him to come, and he does the, the very strangest thing. He, he delays. He hears the news and it, it says that he actually stays where he was two days longer. Now, this delay is confusing. We know the end of the story, but imagine ourselves at the front end of this. He, this is confusing. We learn while he's away that actually Lazarus dies. His delay, was this, was this causal to his passing? I mean, should we see his response and delay as, as callous or cold? I mean, later we heard that Martha say, Lord, if, if you would have been here. Mary says the exact same thing. Lord, if you would have been here. The friends and family in this crowd, the Jews, says that, that he could open the eyes of the blind. If he was here, couldn't he have not prevented him from dying? So there's this, this suspicion, this question of, of Jesus, are you good in this moment? Is this cold and cruel? The disciples thought when Jesus said it's time to go to awaken Lazarus that he was just asleep and he was taking a nap. But no, he, he, he informs them. No, Jesus, Jesus tells them Lazarus has died. And this is what he says. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that there's purpose that you may 
believe. He was glad that he delayed. He was glad that he did not go at once. He had a greater plan that was to unfold, greater than they could see and they could know. And Jesus speaks of his purpose. We see this in verse 4. He was going to perform a sign. He was going to do something that would reveal his glory because he knew that this this illness that he does say would not lead to death, even though Lazarus does die, is going to accomplish something. It was going to bring glory to God for his glory and that the Son may be glorified through it. So far from being cruel, the opposite is true. It was for Jesus to display the glory of God and his own glory because, and because he loved them. He delayed for something greater a greater thing to happen in this death. It was actually a move of, of opportunities that they could grow in faith. They could experience Jesus. They could experience his love and his goodness that they wouldn't know otherwise. Note, Lazarus was the one whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and he stayed longer. John is helping us see that they, there is a withholding of the timing of this because his love for them, his desire for him to share his glory with them could only be accomplished by them observing his glory through this act of death. He wanted to share his glory, the glory of the Father and the Son, so that they may may know true life, and so he delays. For them and for us, our faith is one that that is growing, that we don't always see. Darren mentioned that earlier. Things that we, we, we don't completely understand. For the disciples and for Mary and Martha, the faith is present, but it's not complete. And he was going to reveal more of who he was so they could believe on him fully and have life. So our limitations to see are the same. His, his plans for us sometimes are are mysterious. William Cooper, he was a dear friend of John Newton. He was an author. He wrote hymns. His story was one where he wrestled deeply with with depression, serious dark nights of the soul. And he wrote a hymn in 1774 entitled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Here are some verses from that hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. My heart goes to this psalm often in, in those mysterious hardships or God's delay in my life. And it, I love how that captures, by, by unbelief in Jesus, we, we're going to scan, scan his works in vain. We're going to err in trying to interpret it ourselves. Why is he waiting? If he would only have been there, if, if he would only have done this rather than that, why now? Why her? Why him? Too soon or too late. Faith, faith, belief in Jesus moves to trust in him as the Son of God. 
the Son of God, who is all-wise, who is all-powerful, who is all-good, who is all-loving, who, who is re- we know who is revealing in whatever works he's doing, revealing more of his glory and his love in whatever his plans are. It is a trust that says, Lord, you, you're going to make your purposes plain at some point. Uh, we don't know now, but we trust you. And in this moment, it was an opportunity for Jesus to show his glory and his power because he loved and because he wanted them to believe. And he was going to show that his power was ult- ultimately over this greatest enemy of death. So Jesus begins to teach about who he is. Jesus, after his delay, and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, now comes to Bethany. Many friends and family were in town mourning with them, consoling Martha and Mary. Martha comes to Jesus to, to meet him on his way in town. and We notice that her faith is intact, even in her grief. She, she knows that Jesus has power. She, she knows that whatever he asks of God, God will do. And yet her, her insight into his identity is, is incomplete. And he invites her into knowing that. He tells her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Again, we, we see Martha's deep faith. I don't think her response to him, if you would have been here, was a charge of rebuke, but a longing of knowing that he, he could have raised Lazarus. Yet limited in her scope, Lazarus will die and rise in her mind as she was thinking of the, the great day of the Lord, the, the final resurrection. But Jesus is teaching us about who he is as Christ, as Jesus, the Son of God. D.A. Carson writes, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. He not only raised the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. So Jesus is taking this abstract theology, this, this understanding into personal trust into him, who he is. So not just believing that the fact that people are resurrected, but believe on him to be resurrected. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is inviting them to just her just to not know theology, but to trust on him who saves. Knowing theology, knowing these facts, will not save us. Trusting and believing on Jesus Christ alone will save us. There is a, there is a transition from knowing that information and believing on him that must happen. This past week, I was able to to visit and tour the, the National World War I Museum in, in Kansas City. It was a phenomenal experience. It was the one main monument was built in 1926, just following the war. And I, I knew details about the war and seen movies, but it was one, another thing to, 
to have walked through that museum, to come up close to details and pictures and stories and relics of that moment. There was new eyes that I have as I left that experience, new sorrows, new appreciation for for sacrifice, new griefs and pangs of what the grossness and horrors of war are. And it would have been another thing for me if I was to experience that war, if I would have lived in that moment. So it's one thing to know facts. It's another thing to have seen and been brought near and to know the reality of that thing itself. And Jesus is, is drawing her in. He's drawing us in to say it's not simply information. It is me. It is knowing me. Come and put your faith in me. And all who put their faith in Jesus Though we die, we live. If we live and believe, we will never die. So the question posed to Martha is posed to everyone here. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you trust on him? Do you see who he is and believe on his person? And she does. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Jesus moves from that moment towards encountering more of the family. He moves towards the location where Lazarus is, and the exact same question is posed to him by Mary, and she falls at his feet weeping. Others around are mourning and weeping. I so appreciate the way Scripture does not gloss over the realities and the horrors of death, the feelings of death that, that, that it provokes. Scripture does not minimize it. It does not avoid it. It captures what we feel when we experience death. Our, 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 see, our grief and our sadness point to something that we all know, that this suffering and death And this pain do not belong here. And Jesus uniquely shows us in how he responds to that, the the, the wrongness of all of it, the brokenness of all of it. It says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, verse 33. The the word deeply moved actually expresses this word of anger, of, of outrage. One translation says that he was moved to indignation. Why such intensity from Jesus? Because death is not what it should be. The glory and the goodness of creation in the garden when it is good. It is good. This is not good. This is not good and is not what it should be. Commentator Bruce Milne writes, In Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but that is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb, in Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. He's angry. He's He's outraged. There was indignation because illness and death are results of this fallen, sinful world and because Jesus hates sin and its destruction. 
and its enemy. He's embodying this. He's showing us. And even in the midst of anger, there, there is this picture of sorrow. Jesus, Jesus wept. If you ever did the Bible sword drill, drills and you had to find out what was the shortest verse in the Bible, such a short verse, two words, and yet, yet astounding. The Savior the, the creator of the world, the Son of God, weeps in this moment. Others see Jesus' response and say how he, he loved him. Jesus was grieving, grieving because he, he lost his friend. He was identifying with them as, as a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and the, the frailty of humanity as a man himself, grieving over the lostness. Maybe even a sense of part of his grief was, was grief over some of their unbelief, knowing uh, who was in the midst of them, and they could not see what he was about to do. I think this is a powerful picture for us to see that there is, there is room. It is right for the Christian to have multiple expressions of emotion in our suffering. Grief provokes these things. There is, there is anger. There is sadness. There is sorrow. We grieve when someone dies. We grieve when death is among us. We, we know that death is coming and we grieve. If a parent's mind is wasting away by disease, we, we grieve. It's right to, to hate the way that death is slowly stealing away those that we love. Yet we grieve as also those ones with, with hope. We grieve with hope. We grieve, and yet we have hope. There is sorrow, and there is hope that can work together. Those things are compatible. Weeping and laughter, sorrow and joy, because we know that, that Jesus is present, and he is present to show us what he is able to do and what he came to do. So Jesus didn't just stand outside Lazarus' tomb and weep. What, what does he do? It says, it says again that he was deeply moved again. Verse, in verse 38, he was indignant again as he goes to this cave, this stone over this tomb. We should be seeing some parallels here, right? In Calvin's words, Jesus moves and advances as a champion who prepares for conflict. Sin, sin will not have the last word. Death will not have the last word. Jesus has the power to deal with the oppressor of men, the object of his anger, why he came to, to destroy death and sin and Satan. And he tells Martha, the sister of the dead man, I love how John includes that, verse 39, the sister of the dead man. He was truly dead. It, he smelled. He had been in the tomb for four days. There was, there was decaying flesh on Lazarus. And he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And Jesus prays. He prays to the Father. He prays to his Father, and he, he prayed aloud so that, that others could hear him. They could hear his trust on the Father. He, he, he's affirming his sonship to the Father by his prayer to the Father. He being the Son, this is God's work working through him, for the glory of God, for the glory of the Son. 
so that they would hear and that they would also believe that the Father sent the Son. So Jesus prays. And Jesus tells them to move the stone from the tomb and he cries out his friend's name, Lazarus, come forth. I've heard it said that if he wouldn't have said his name, it's very possible that all the tombs in the area, all the dead would have risen out of the tombs. I don't know, maybe that could have happened. But he says his friend's name and he speaks life. The Lord of life speaks into death and brought Lazarus back from the dead. And as he said earlier, it's as if he had fallen asleep and Jesus woke Lazarus from a nap. This is, this is the, the caliber of God's power. He was dead and now was alive. God permitted the illness and death of Lazarus to in turn reveal Jesus' power over death and reveal God's glory in the Son as the resurrection and the life. Lazarus' death provides a sign to display Jesus' deeper purpose of where he was going in his soon-to-be death and his soon-to-be resurrection. He was fulfilling what, what, what was promised, what, what sin had done and entered into the world through the, in the garden through Adam and Eve, fracturing creation, bringing death to all of humanity, decay to all of creation, that all humanity and creation groans and aches for deliverance of, as, as the prophets would speak of this horrific reality, there was a promise of defeat. The prophet Isaiah spoke and wrote this, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all, na- all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken Isaiah chapter 25 this anticipation prophesied that there'd be one that would come God that would come that would swallow up death forever death death's reversal Jesus has come to do this very thing But for Jesus to secure this for his people, he would also have to die. Jesus must go to his tomb to fulfill this. The text tells us that after many people believe, some run off to report to the religious leaders of what Jesus has done. We read this in verse 47. We pick up in our our text. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Caiaphas, the high priest unknowingly, was speaking by God's plan of this greater salvation that was going to come in Jesus. The religious leaders would be used to move God's rescue forward through Jesus' death. And by Jesus' death, he would die for the nations. Well, the nation, what is happening here? He is foretelling Jesus' substitutionary death. He would die instead of his people. Not just the Jews, but that all, all those who would believe, all the nations that would believe on him, all nations scattered abroad. So how would this be accomplished? It would be accomplished by what they would set in motion, what God ultimately is set in motion, verse 53, to put him to death. Jesus' death is coming. As we hear on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Friday, Friday awaits. Back in verse 8, Jesus says he is, when he said he's heading back to Jerusalem to his disciples, they freak out and panic. Rabbi, the, the Jews, don't, don't you know they want to stone you? And you're going you're gonna to go towards that place? Don't you know they're going to try to kill you? And Jesus gives them this very strange response regarding 12 hours in a day and walking in the day and stumbling at night. And it was common that day, in that time that 12 hours were referred to the average work day. And so what do you do during the work day when it's daylight? Uh, you work. Jesus is saying, it's my hour. Uh, the light has come. My time has come. It's time for me to do my work. And my work is to move towards my cross. It is towards for me to suffer and to die. Jesus was going where death was. Jesus moved towards his death as a sacrifice in order that by his death, he would give life to those whom he loves, to all who would believe. The book of John begins with John the Baptist, the first chapter of John, and John sees Jesus from afar, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He declared, he predicted the direction that Jesus was going as the sacrificial lamb. What we remember this week to remove and cleanse sins by his blood. The penalty that would be paid for our sins would be placed on Jesus. His death instead of ours. The lamb to be slain and his blood poured out in order to be a cleansing, saving for us. So Good Friday, Good Friday is coming and we consider Jesus' death for the sins of others the fulfillment of what the prophets spoke of in Isaiah 53, that he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes the intercession for the transgressors. See, here's, here's the thing. Lazarus, Lazarus would die again. He, he did rise from the dead in this moment, but we don't know how long, but he... He, maybe he grew older or there was another illness and Lazarus, Lazarus would die. He would die again physically, but here's the reality. Because of what Jesus was doing, what he was about to do, what he did do, though Lazarus died again, he would live. Jesus' price to achieve this, would, this eternal life after Lazarus' death, death and ours was 
his cross, that he would be numbered among the transgressors. Jesus had to embrace death himself and then to rise, but before his resurrection came his death. Death before life, tomb before resurrection. We read earlier John's purpose for capturing the story. We heard this word believe numerous times through this text that we read. We've been invited and we've been confronted with Jesus' words to believe. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is, this is for each and every one of us to, to respond to. Not just a theological data point, but a place where we know that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And only by faith in believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God will we find life. Will we find forgiveness? Will we find opportunity to spend eternity with him, the life giver? And so, have you responded to this question? Do you believe? Do you believe in Christ, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord? You could do that today. I encourage you to respond today. Put your faith in him. And for us, the rest of us who do believe, we, we have a Savior that we can rest confidently in in our questions, in our mysterious moments, in delays, we could say, Jesus, you are our hope. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the one with perfect, perfect wisdom and perfect power who has destroyed death. And in, if you've done that, Lord, we know that you have all power to save and to keep. We have faith in you. We trust in you. The one who keeps his word, we believe on him. And all who believe on him will never see death. So what happens later in this week that we anticipate? Well, we know that Jesus would have weeping around him as he was nailed to his cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he would take the curse upon himself for the sins of the world. Jesus would be put into a tomb. A stone would be rolled and he would be shut into that tomb. Jesus would likewise be in there for several days. Yet, he would not be bound by linens. And there is no face cloth on his face any longer. It's folded and it's in the tomb. So this, this week of suffering leading up to Good Friday, we know where the story goes. Death is defeated by our Savior. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. And all who believe, all who put their trust on you, Jesus, though we die, we will live. This is an invitation for us. This is an invitation for every one of us, Lord. And it's one for us who have not believed to believe. And it is, it is an invitation for us to have fresh hope and faith that as death nears, as the, as the promise of today is for us, but not knowing tomorrow, 
Lord, we are in your hands, and we know that there is life. There is life. There is always life in you because you have come to us. Your life, your death, resurrection becomes, Lord, our life. <laughs> our death by, because of your death and, Lord, your resurrection for us. And with that, we have great hope. So thank you for sharing your glory with us. Thank you for inviting us into your glory, the glory of your Son, Father. Amen.